Hey everybody and welcome to the Oscar Watch Podcast, a podcast where we look back at past Best Picture winners for your reconsideration. I am your host Stephen Buja and joining me like a bag in the wind, he comes and he goes, the one and only Matthew Marchetti. Hey buddy, how's it going? Hey, I'm good man, good. Just hanging in there, uh, I'm trying to just watch as many movies as I can. Uh, my wife has been uh, teaching at night so it's like... It's like prime time to watch nice. a lot of crap that I know she's not going to be into, and um, it has been yeah. a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> as, as Matt, I've been meaning to ask you, do you feel confident that you'll be able to finish all of the movies you have on Blu-ray, watch them all? Yeah. I mean, I, uh, with the caveat that I'll keep <laughs> buying, and then you know the, the format will, will metamorph into something new, and... Uh, yeah, I think so. Well, my my fear is that like my DVD collection, there's a lot of films in my DVD collection I haven't watched yet. They sort of got supplanted by the Blu-ray collection. Um, so my fear is that that would happen. I think that would probably be the only way um, I'd, I'd get into that situation, which I'm sure will inevitably happen. Or everything will just be um, streaming mm. content. So I'll just be able to watch all my physical media and be happy and cranky and old. My, this this belongs to me, not the corporation that I'm streaming this from. Yeah. Right. Yes. I own this. There is, there is, <laughs> yeah, I do I do sometimes worry because I don't have, I don't remember the last time I bought a Blu-ray or a DVD and I feel bad about that. I buy the, I buy the movies we watch and I, I watch them and I, you know, mm-hmm. somebody gets money but there is a satisfaction and a joy in possessing a thing. Uh, especially when you possess a lot of a lot of the same similar uh, items, such as Blu-rays, you ha- you amass a collection that uh, I I I am missing in my life. I actually I actually I did have I have a bunch of DVDs, but I years ago I took them all out of the case and just put them in a giant binder because I live in New York and I did not have time the literally the space for all of this stuff. They were taking up so much room. Has since maybe changed a little bit, but I uh, I can't do it anymore, and I miss it a lot. And I do worry that when the inevitable like EMP blast comes, I'm just not going to be able to watch things anymore. <laughs> I mean, there will be more problems at that point than than watching movies. Right. <laughs> but you know, after 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 things have have settled down, it would be nice to have something. At the very least, a Blu-ray could be a currency in the in the wasteland. I think. You know, could be. I don't know. I don't know that I'd sell them though. Could use them for armor or like some sort of like looking device. It's, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but no, that's true. Yeah. That's true. But yeah, <laughs> but uh, you are right. I I don't think you. Do you think you will? Uh, there will ever come a day when you just stop collecting physical media? No, I hope not. I don't want to. I don't want there to be one. Right. I, I don't. I don't think so. No. I mean, I I think that. There's always going to be a small like contingent of people that will still want to do it. There's actually more since this you know kind of streaming boom. There's there's a huge kind of explosion in um, you know uh, companies that just release um, sort of unknown movies. A lot of a lot of horror films, a lot of other genre films get released. So this is sort of a renaissance for that. I mean, there's tons of films I own now in Blu-ray, you know, remastered in 4K that I never. Had, would even have seen, let alone owned on Blu-ray and the, and the quality right. they're in. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I won't <laughs> yeah. stop. I'm actually. I don't want to, dude. I'm. Don't stop me. Her name is Steph. Yeah, I'm not a strong <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah. so. That's actually that's actually encouraging uh, because, um, for instance, when the uh, switch from VHS to DVD came. We lost a lot of films, I think, just to people just did not bother to transfer them to the to the new media, and so you effectively can't watch them unless you have a crappy old VCR. So, so to hear that they're releasing like films you may never have heard of on a Blu-ray, that's 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 encouraging, and I'm I'm glad the format allows yeah. for uh, such mass production of little-known things. Yeah. This was really great. Ah, well, uh, Matt. 
We're talking about American Beauty today. 1999 Academy Award winner, directed by Sam Mendes, starring Kevin Spacey, Nett Benning, Thora Birch, Wes Bentley, and Chris Cooper, plus Peter Gallagher's eyebrows. It can never, never <laughs> not stress that enough. Um, so this was 1999. You, we are 15, 16, thereabouts. What are your? What's your memory? What are you? What, what's your experience with this movie? Um, I think I saw it um, kind of after it had rolled through the award season, uh, if my memory serves correctly. It definitely wasn't something that was on. I was I was more into. I'm looking at just stuff that came out that year, and I was definitely more into the you know the sort of um, premiere movies that you'd see as a as a young um, <laughs> yes. young buck. So stuff like The Matrix and Star Wars and The Sixth Sense and you know the stuff that was sort of really hyped up. Um, I think I probably looked at American Beauty as being um, something that I, I wouldn't have understood, or I was like, eh, I don't know about that. And but I did see it shortly after, so it was probably in like early 2000. I caught it, um, and I remember being like, Oh my <laughs> god, this is what's happening in the world. <laughs> yeah, as, yeah, as um, and it was. I can I, safe to say that we both grew up in the suburbs. Yeah. Uh, yes. It did. Um, this is the first time I I saw it in the in the theaters. I think before it had won, but maybe after it had been nominated. There was you know the Christmas vacation. I used to just go to the movies and just spend all my time there. And yeah. I saw that. Yeah. Uh, this is the first time I remember a movie being as accessible as it was, but also as you know, with the flair and the ideology of an art house film, I don't remember a film ever really hitting that note for me ever before. Maybe I just wasn't aware of it. I didn't uh, go see it. Perhaps maybe I was just too young to go see Fargo when it came out three years before. I don't know. But this mm-hmm. is this is the first time I thought, oh, this is what happens when you get big studio money. This is DreamWorks Pictures' first like really big major award winner with the sensibility of an art house film. And I remember just singing this film's praises back then. I remember I was in a Spanish class and I was talking about this movie and I couldn't translate what behind the white picket fence was in Spanish. So I just said it in English a bunch of times. And I think my Spanish teacher got very annoyed with me. But we didn't. I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't know how to say that phrase. I could probably. I probably could have figured it out. I was just really. I was a real terrible student back then. They, they didn't have, have Google. Google. They didn't have Google. We're using what? Yeah, no. Prodigy, AOL, something. We were using a whole bunch of. I used to use Dogpile. I don't even know what that is. Dogpile just would search all of the search oh, engines wow. at the time, so it was like the lazy. Was like oh, I can do everything. Maybe. maybe Maybe it was yeah. ask was ask Jeeves still around before it became ask. I think, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Uh, the wild days, the all or nothing days of the uh, nineteen ninety nine. So, yeah. So this was a this to me it was a formative experience. It showed me what filmmaking could be when a, when you apply a, a story that is uh, accessible to and to something with a a little more intelligence behind it. I was I remember thinking like really deep thoughts, long thoughts about this movie being like, yeah, yeah. man, fucking suburbs, fuck the suburbs. I live there. I can't wait to get out of here. Ah, I was like, it was just an angry young man. I go, yeah, I'm totally, I'm totally Ricky Fitz or I know Ricky Fitz. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to bust out of here. We're going to, we're going to go take the, take the world by storm. Cause I, you know, I had, I had the camera. I was filming just a random shit all the time because that wasn't weird at all in 1999. Well, because it was it was a legit camera. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm just filming with my phone now, like every other person. It's like, oh no, you're clearly, you are clearly doing something that maybe you shouldn't right. be. You can't just hide behind anonymity. It's like you have a camera, you're out in public. Nobody else has. That. I see you. It was yeah. an inter- it was an interesting time. It was an interesting time for me, and I look forward to discussing that later. But right now, we are going to take a short break, and when we come back. We'll discuss the 1999 Academy Awards. 
Thank you. It was almost exactly two years ago that Andrew Canava sent us a screenplay called American Beauty by Alan Ball. It dealt with sex and drugs, blackmail, homophobia, infidelity, and suburban dysfunction. And in the middle of all this was a character named Ricky Fitz, who at one point says, sometimes there's so much beauty in the world, I feel like I can't take it. And everyone in the audience knew exactly what he meant. Alan, Bruce and I will forever be grateful to you for trusting us with your beautiful words. Sam Mendes, thank you so much for taking this script and bringing it to the screen in such a brilliant way that audiences around the world have been moved by this story of two American families. On a personal note, I want to thank Larry Grimaldi, David Genilari, Michael Pissarro, all of my friends, my sister Laura, and all of my parents who I am so thrilled are here with me tonight. Thank you. Bruce? Thank you to Kevin Spacey, the incomparable Annette Benning, and our entire cast. You are all phenomenal, and we shared this with you. We shared this with our spectacular crew. Two years ago, when others were passing on this wonderful script, DreamWorks stepped up to the plate. We cannot thank enough so many people there, from Glenn Williamson to Steven Spielberg, for giving us the creative freedom to make the movie we wanted to make, and then working tirelessly to market it and distribute it. Thanks also to Alan Hergott, to Greg, Jillian, Paul, the gang at Spagos, my friends and family, mom, dad, Julie, especially Grammy, and finally, on behalf of everyone associated with American Beauty, Dan and I thank the Academy to receive this extraordinary honor for a film that we are all so blessed to be a part of is truly the thrill of a lifetime. Thank you. Thank you. Sam Mendes, American Beauty, won Best Picture at the 1999 Academy Awards, and it also picked up an additional four awards for a total of five out of eight nominations. Matthew Marchetti, what were those winning categories? Well, let me tell you, Steve. Uh, but we had a Best Actor in a Leading Role by Mr. Kevin I Can Do Anything in the World Spacey. Um, Just, he really can, by the way. Oh, he yeah, really no, he's, he's like uh, the most mutable actor I've ever seen. Like, it's it's, it's absolutely crazy what yeah. that man is capable of. Yes. Oh, and by the way, uh, this is dropping the week of House of Cards season five. So I hope everyone is out enjoying that. As a, you know, you know, because we needed a little reprieve from actual terrifying politics. So we're just <laughs> gonna gonna watch House of Cards. A little, a little fun and fun and sun relaxation. <laughs> I think I think uh, Kevin Spacey was on um, on the Late Show with Stephen Colbert, and he was talking to him, asking him about his comparisons to to Trump. Um, and he Kevin Spacey said a bunch of things. I just caught a few clips of it, and he basically said, uh, "What's the difference between uh, you and Donald Trump, or Frank Underwood and Donald Trump?" And he said, uh, "We have better writers. I have a better." The most that's the most Kevin Spacey thing he could have said in that moment. Yeah. Yes, okay. and I loved it. Uh-huh. So moving back to the uh, the other awards that American Beauty picked up, uh, we had Best Director for the aforementioned Sam Mendes. I think a well-deserved award, uh, juggling a lot of different things here and uh, still managing to make this movie really, really, really funny, um, which it, yeah. it it almost shouldn't be, but it's it is absolutely hysterical. It's <laughs> and, and, and stuff it does. It's. It has a it, it walks a very fine line. The humor is dark. It's yes, it is. pitch black at times. Probably why I like it so much. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it, then, it, it, it is worth noting that Sam Mendes became the sixth director to win for his directorial debut of a major motion picture. The last one was uh, the one before that was Kevin Costner. For Dances with Wolves, he joined Robert Redford. He is also, I believe, the last person to uh, have done that um, so it's been about 18 years and counting since uh, since such time so congratulations somebody's shake it up somebody does gotta shake it up indeed yeah, that, that prestigious club right there so yeah i mean uh just going along that that avenue we were just talking about with the with the, the kind of playing around with genres the uh the next award american beauty picked up was best writing uh for alan ball and i feel like i mean that's yeah. You know, he's he has a lot to thank for that that sort of fine line, um, amongst other people. But yeah. uh, the screenplay is fantastic. In my, it's opinion. wonderful. He was originally a sitcom writer yeah. for like Sybil or uh, some other. Just, yeah, I was just... looking at his, his his filmography, and I was oh, I was like oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, 
what did he do after this? Yeah. Oh, that's why I didn't hear about him because he was working for TV. So uh-huh. not that right. it's bad. It's just that that's All right. But you know, the TV he did, he I believe he did Six Feet Under, uh, one of the best HBO shows. And yeah. was he True Blood? Yeah, as he's well, he's True Blood now. So yeah, he's got uh, he's got a lot to say. He has a very dark sense of humor. Yes. Both those shows possess. Although True Blood did get really ridiculous really fast, but that's probably more to do with the source material. But he's a he's a he's a very fine writer, very fine writer, and a very well deserved win. I think so. There. Too, yeah. And finally, and the, the last award it picked up was uh, best cinematography for the the great legendary Conrad L. Hall. Which, yeah, I mean, can't so things about him. So good. I uh, previously yeah. won for Braveheart as well, and this was. It was the visuals of this movie that mm-hmm. caught me first. Just the way it wasn't shot like a big studio movie. It was intimate. It had flair and just the the scenes with um, Mina Suvari in the in the in the rose bath are just uh, iconic. They are all time in my opinion. And Conrad Hall has a lot to do with that. He would uh, he died. Uh, a few years later, yeah, two thousand three, I think. Yeah, two thousand. He, he just, I think he, he, he did Road to Perdition, also directed by Sam Mendes. Very underappreciated yeah. film that, and uh, his work, uh, his work lives on, and he is oh, arguably one of the best. Just, yeah. yeah, he's a DP for one of my one of my favorite movies, probably top five of all time, which is uh, Marathon Man from nineteen seventy six. I just love that oh, movie. That is a great movie. Yeah, so I love well, it. Oh, so well shot too. Now. Yeah. Oh, there oh. is. Uh, uh, what else was it? Uh, what else was American Beauty nominated for? It was nominated for Best Actress in a Leading Role for Annette Bening, which um, I, I have my my feelings about. I really like a bordering bordering on love Annette Bening um, in general, <laughs> but I really liked her performance in this. I think it's it's really powerful and very complex. Um, I think she lost to did she lose to Hillary Swank? Hillary Swank, yeah, the first time Hillary Swank won for Boys Don't Cry. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Hell of a, uh, actually, hell of a, uh, hell of a lineup. You had Julianne Moore, Meryl Streep, of course, because, and uh, someone named Janet McTeer, who I don't exactly remember, but I'm sure it was fine. But Hilary Swank was, uh, she's very good in that movie. Oh yeah, she I, is. I don't remember. I don't remember if I liked the movie all that much, but she just kills it. Yeah, uh, really. She's, she's what I remember. So I'll, yeah, I, I will give her. I will give her that. Uh, yeah, definitely. And then the other two um, nominations were for Best Film Editing, or Tariq Anwar and Christopher Greenberry, mm-hmm. um, which I, I would argue they, they did a fabulous job um, kind of splicing all this stuff together, uh, considering how kind of disparate the movie could be without good editing. Um, I think the, the nomination is definitely well-deserved. Um, I would argue that maybe it, it deserved to win, because I feel like that this movie could have been an absolute mess without sort of the, the right flow. Um, and the right kind of coordination on their part, and I think I think the mate the Matrix the win? Matrix won, yeah. Uh, all right, so you know, um, uh... yeah, all, right. all right, Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you, Matrix. Whatever. <laughs> all right, and then the last uh, the last nomination was for best music original score by Thomas Thomas okay. Newman, who who just recently took over for I believe scoring the the James Bond films. Oh. Not mistaken. That's why his name stuck out to me again. Um, yes. And the music and the music in this is fantastic too. So it is very very understated. And uh, by the way, uh, R.I.P. Sir Roger Moore. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to talk about it. We should talk about. I don't want. I don't want to talk about it. I'm just gonna mumble about him. Okay. Okay. We're just not gonna talk about it. I wrote a little. I wrote a little tribute for him on my Instagram yesterday. It was. It was lovely. I want to check that out. Yes. My feelings. My feels. It feels. He's a bit, he's uh Matthew Marchetti is the biggest Bond fan I know, and at heart we are all James Bond fans. But he he takes it to the next level. <laughs> <laughs> I've ruined friendships because of James Bond. Yeah. I've gotten arguments with people I have just barely met about James Bond. I don't even I can't even get into it. Okay, all right, we won't. Well, uh, I will I will say of of American Beauty. American Beauty was actually it was the first non-period non-historical epic. To win since Silence of the Lambs eight years ago, he had a huge run of that. He had uh, yeah. Unforgiven, so Unforgiven, Schindler's List, Forrest Gump, Braveheart, English Patient, Titanic, Shakespeare in Love. Boom, nailed it. Wasn't even looking at something. 
And we were just talking about the Last Emperor a couple weeks ago, and uh, yeah, I mean that was that. that and yeah, before that was Dances with Dances with Wolves. Yeah, Driving Miss Daisy in there as well. It's yeah, that the, that eight year period I think is where you get a lot of the ideas of what an Oscar movie is. Uh-huh. It's fancy costumes. It's gr- it's grand. It's sweeping. It's epic, as yep. it were. Probably yep. with a love story and thrown thrown in thrown in there. Of course, for good measure. <laughs> yeah, but American Beauty, uh, it was generally considered a lock to be the front runner, but it's still you know you still got to run the race. What was it up against that year? There's some interesting choices. Uh, this I, this might be the first time I, I, I would hazard a guess that for you as well that we, that we've seen all the other nominees. Yes, very much so. Be, uh, wait, yeah, uh, first time for me at least. Yeah, in this. yeah I think so. We did no, and you know what? No, I haven't seen. I have not seen the first one. I do not believe I've seen the first one. All right. Well, the other the other nominees are the uh, with the cider house rules. That's the one, that's what. <laughs> but is it is it rules like? Laws or is it the cider house rules? No, the cider house rules, man. No stiff ass dean's gonna tell us what to do. <laughs> that was my college movie voice. Um, <laughs> I will, I will say that uh, out of the four, the cider house rules is the one I remember the least. So it left the, the smallest impression on me. I remember Michael Caine, I think, and that was about yeah. It. <laughs> um, not that it was bad. I just don't. Rem- it doesn't. It wasn't as memorable for me as the other four. Uh, so we also had the Green Mile a movie that I um, wasn't in love with when it came out, but have since come to love completely and utterly. Uh, I think it's it's just a fantastic flick yeah. um, that I think gets a lot of love, but maybe it just didn't get a lot of love from me. <laughs> or from I, it's, I can I can see the problems with it. I can even wow, I can't believe that's been 18 years. It feels like it came out oh. so um, yeah, just like just yesterday. Yeah. It does remind me that Frank Darabont is best when he is adapting Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what he needs to be doing. Mm-hmm. He's three for three in King adaptations. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of hit or miss for everything else, but when he's doing Stephen King, he he gets it. He gets it better than any other director. He's a good he's a good horror writer. He wrote the screenplay for the remake of The Blob, and he wrote the like second best Nightmare on Elm Street film, number three, Dream Warriors. Dream Warriors. He co-wrote it. Which was also directed by the same the same guy directed both that and the Blob Chuck yes, Russell. But did did he write the song to Dream Warriors? No, that was uh, Don Dokken and George Lynch, I believe, wrote the song. I, I might know a little bit about Dokken. <laughs> I might love Dokken. Okay. But we won't talk about that. This, this is not this is not the this is not yet the Dokken cast. So we're I gonna. Guess we're, I guess it's out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, we got two more. Two more. Two the more. other the other two films were. The Insider, um, directed by Michael Mann, one of oh. my, one of, one of I think the best sort of like technical directors working. Um, he's not always, you know, doesn't always have the best um, films in general. I, I would say, but he's he's really excellent with like detail-driven um, pieces. I don't know if that makes sense, but no, it like, does. It does. Really it's certainly, certainly back in the '90s, you have, uh, I think Insider. That's one of uh, that's one of the best. And my favorite Michael Mann films, just incredible, and also marked the beginning of, I think, a three or four year period that I guess we can call the Chromageddon, in which Russell Crowe was just fucking killing it. Everything, <laughs> yeah, everything. Yeah. Oh man, it, mm. that is such a great movie. Oh. Oh, it's it's fantastic. Yeah. I need to see it again. It's been it's been way too long since I've seen the, that movie. The last film I feel like escapes me. I don't remember the name oh. of it. I feel like nobody ever saw it. It wasn't ever talked about. Nobody spoiled the twist ending. Oh, uh yeah, Stir of Echoes, right? It was it was it was Stir of Echoes. You're right. Right. The Kevin Bacon vehicle that everyone remembers alongside this other film that we're actually talking about the oh, sixth. Of course, M Night Shyamalan uh, uh That you know, I I saw that and was like, oh yeah, I do remember that. I just it, you would, it's weird to think of M Night Shyamalan as, you know, now eighteen years later as Academy Award nominated director M Night oh Shyamalan, <laughs> and man, when this when this came out, it was the second coming. Oh, Everyone was like, this guy's gonna be Spielberg, Hitchcock, he, he, Spielberg, Hitchcock, all rolled in one. I you know, for all the crap we give M, M. Night Shyamalan and. Some of it is deserved. I think we go. I think we get a little too much. But then again, he did make the happening, and the happening is oh, the happening is bad. <laughs> you know what? As 
if the man would just stop writing his own screenplays and directing, I think it'd be so much better because you know he's a fantastic director. I yeah. love his cho- I love his the his style, his choices, the way he cuts, the way he uh, directs his people. It's he's great. He just needs to step away from himself for just a mm-hmm. little bit. Get get a really good hire hire somebody and direct that because he is uh he could he could be he could be best he's he's on his way back up he had the visit which I thought was excellent mm-hmm. I hear split was surprisingly good I never yeah did I it up. I loved it I loved it I think you know there's some some issues and I I would like to rewatch it at some point I'm sure I would come up with some things I could scrutinize but I was very much into it from from the get go that's great um, to hear. Yeah. So he is on a bit of a roll and he's got the this ridiculous film universe. It's like the well you haven't seen Split, so I don't know. I haven't. Yet. Oh god, really? Is it the 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 Shyamalan verse? The... Yeah. Just you know what? No, just Okay. Watch. Yeah. I'll, I'll, watch. I'll get, I don't want to say I am glad I didn't say anything actually. That would have been really bad. <laughs> I will get around to it. Yeah. All right. I do I, I do love, I do love James McAvoy. He's Oh, he's fabulous. I love this. Yeah. But um, I, I gotta say, man, 1999. I'm looking at all of the other movies that were not that were released that year. Holy shit! I think this is one of the best years on record. We've had a lot it's of great still, years, but uh, just 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 start just start throwing some of that. Or what are some of the things on your list? Just let, let, let me have it. Well, I I'll kind of skip the ones we had already talked about briefly. So, Fight Club, uh, Toy Story Two, oh Magnolia, <sighs> one of my favorite PTA, PTA films. Oh. oh He's, yeah, we could, I can talk about him until the cows come home. But, oh, my God. Um, yeah, being John Malkovich, um, I mean, it's, for better or worse, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. <laughs> most anticipated film of all time. It, it was. Up to that point until Episode Seven came out, I think. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, what else do they have here? The Iron Giant. Yes. Uh, which was which was interesting because I was looking at um I was looking for a best animated feature and not realizing that they didn't start that until two thousand one. Yeah. Is that correct. That is correct. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, I did look at the remainder of um, animated films in in nineteen ninety nine, and they weren't great. There wasn't a lot of great showings. So it would have been like The Iron Giant, Toy Story two, and um, that's probably about right. it. Right. Uh, and uh, like I, I'm hard pressed to to pick between those two. They're 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 my babies. Oh, they're great. Uh, Toy Story 2 is the best Toy Story. Probably one of the best things Pixar has put out. Yeah. The Iron Giant amazing. is amazing film. It's so wonderful um, that I, I don't know. I don't like. I'm glad. I'm glad nobody had to choose between that because that would have been yeah, really would have been tough. Would have been tough. Would have been tough. Yeah. Uh, what else do they have? Office Space. I uh, eyes wide shut. The talented Mr. Ripley. Yeah, eyes wide shut. Eyes wide shut. By the way, Stanley Kubrick's last movie. Uh, I know nobody. Nobody seems. I think it's gaining the claim. I'm like, I'm very mad that Kubrick did not get a posthumous director's nomination for this because I think they could. Uh, I think they could have made, they made an exception for that because. Yeah, that feels I like a shitty, really like a shitty move on their part. I really like that movie. Yes, movie. I do too. Uh, yeah, eyes wide shut. Talented Mr. Ripley. Three Kings, which is a movie I love. Love, love, I love Three Kings very, yep. very much. So great. Um, this is this is a, a personal favorite of mine. Ten Things I Hate About You, which I just reviewed not that long ago, it, uh, and it still holds up. I love that movie. So. I love it. Uh, uh, you want one of my favorite movies from 1999? On that, and that uh, that David Mamet agrees with me. Galaxy Quest. I go, Galaxy Quest. <laughs> it's 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 right there. It's, I'm looking at it's, it right it's, now. It's uh, it's, yeah, I, it's it's a great. It's, it's like an, it's an amazing screenplay. Just and astoundingly. <laughs> it's funny it's heart heartwarming it's great it's, it's great yeah. what else do you have yeah, before i mentioned stir of echoes which came out like a month after the sixth century so it got yep. destroyed it uh, did. Yeah. deep blue sea deep blue sea <laughs> how great a movie is that nodding I... not, not, oh my god it's uh, 1999 like, 1999 you could do you could watch one movie a week from 1999 and you would have 52 great good to great films Oh, yeah. Guaranteed. It's also where like I was I was looking at the some of the films, like the horror films in particular, and I was like, why I just wasn't thinking about nineteen ninety nine and two thousand and Y two K, but I was like, The Ninth Gate, Stigmata, End of Days. I'm like, what is going on with this apocalypse? Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, right. oh there it is. That's why we're all terrified of Arnold Schwarzenegger's gonna save the world. <laughs> From Gabriel Byrne, who's the from 
devil, but not the devil. He's he's yeah. I didn't like. I did not like the ninth gate. I wanted the ninth gate to be different. I haven't seen it in eighteen years, so uh, yeah. I kind of dig the ninth gate just because it it does the euro thing, which is to like not explain anything. It's weakly written, but I I'm like into that ambiguity. So for me, it it sort of works a little bit. It's not great, but I I enjoy it to a point. Okay. Anyways, uh, we could probably talk all day about the films of 1999, but we have to focus on one in particular, the one that stood above all the rest when the dust settled, American Beauty. Stick around after this break when we, we are going to get into it. No, no, that's quite all right, dear. Your father and I were just discussing his day at work. Why don't you tell our daughter about it, honey? Janie, today I quit my job. <laughs> and then I told my boss to go fuck himself, and then I blackmailed him for almost $60,000 past the asparagus. Your father seems to think this kind of behavior is something to be proud of. And your mother seems to prefer that I go through life like a fucking prisoner while she keeps my dick in a mason jar under the sink. How dare you speak to me that way in front of her? And I marvel that you can be so contemptuous of me on the same day that you lose your job. Lose I didn't lose it. It's not like, whoops, where'd my job? Go. I quit. Someone passed the asparagus. Oh, 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 and I want to thank you for putting me under the added pressure of being the sole breadwinner now. I already have a job. No, no, don't give a second thought as to who's going to pay the mortgage. We'll just leave it all up to Carolyn. You mean you're going to take care of everything now, Carolyn? Yes, I don't mind. I really don't. You mean everything? You don't mind having the sole responsibility? Your husband feels he can just quit his job and you don't... Will like, someone who's please pass me the okay, fucking guys, asparagus? I'm not going to be a part of this. Shut up! I am sick and tired of being treated like I don't exist. You two do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, and I don't complain. All I want oh, is Oh, you the don't same... complain? Oh, please, excuse me, excuse me. I must be psychotic then. If you don't complain, what is this? Yeah, let's, let's, let's bring in the laugh meter and see how loud it gets on that one. You don't complain. Don't interrupt me, honey. And another thing. From now on, we're going to alternate our dinner music because frankly, and I don't think I'm alone here, I'm really tired of this Lawrence Welk shit. Matt. Don't know how I feel about American Beauty anymore. I don't. I loved it when I was 16. And that was when I was just getting into the art of uh, movies, how they're made, the craft, the intelligence, the themes behind them. Blew my mind then. Thought it was wonderful. Um, I don't. I th- you know what? You know what? I th- you know what I think it is? I think what time has done for this movie is that it has been parodied to death mm. that I can't. I see all the seams. I see all the jokes, and it. Uh, I I left this film when it ended, just feeling like this is a good movie. It's a movie I can appreciate on every conceivable level, but I can't say I love it. Um, how did it affect you this time after having not seen it for many many years? Yeah, I, I would agree. Kind of wholeheartedly with what you just said, it feels like even if it, the movie almost feels at this point like a parody of itself. Like we've seen mm-hmm. the big scenes ad nauseum, and when they happen, they don't have. So, so for me, the, the, the big scenes, the scenes that are very memorable, um, some of the dream or hallucination sequences, whatever you want to call them, the day, I said daydream sequences. Yeah. Um, they were memorable the first time I saw them. This time around, I kind of I obviously knew it was coming. They weren't as memorable. I, I found myself enjoying um, kind of smaller bits of the movie a lot more because I think that's true of any time you rewatch a film, you, you start to pick up little nuances and things here and there. Uh, I did feel that its star was slightly diminished by time. Not time so much, but time and, and the way the movie was sort of looked at and, and, and you know, uh, yeah, parodied, I think is the way to, mm-hmm. to put that. Um, so I, I agree with you to a point, but 
yeah, no, maybe I agree with you completely because <laughs> I'm actually thinking about my experience and you know rewatching it, and I don't, I don't know if love came out of my mouth in terms of I love it. Um, I just said that was. I think I just walked away as I was to the movie with them saying that was just brilliant. It's still brilliant. Yeah. So I think it's very. It's a brilliant film, but I don't know that I'm like in love with it like I used to be. Like when I when I like you said when we when we, when we first had seen it, um, which is kind of a bummer. Right. It's a great. It's a great introductory film towards if you want to like start learning about the language of film and how mm. cinematography and writing can come together and how it's not just about big spectacle it's about tiny quiet moments and you know well written lines and characters i think it's still a great intro film and if you are in if you are in any way interested and you're young and you haven't really been exposed to that because you've been watching marvel movies for the last nine years <laughs> then yeah totally like i definitely recommend like checking this out but as somebody but for 18 years now it's been it hasn't it doesn't grab me anymore. I guess I think because I've moved on. Maybe that's it. Maybe I've moved yeah. on. I've moved on. I've grown up. I'm no longer like angry at the suburbs. Sometimes I contemplate going back to them because I'm like, this kid's going to take up a fuck ton of space. What if there's another mm-hmm. one? They're going to need going to need more of it, they're, they're multiplying. Oh my god. What's going on? How can I stop this? I know how to stop this, but I don't want to. <laughs> um, so, uh we'll just get right to the bag scene. This is parodied everywhere. It is Ricky Fitz, Wes Bentley, showing to Thor Birch the most beautiful thing in the world, inspired by an actual event that happened to Alan Ball, where he saw a bag just dancing in the wind for about 10 minutes. I couldn't... I, I, was, I was laughing this time. Man, I, <laughs> I, the... the just the just the lingering shot of it, the way Wes Bentley, who didn't, I'm sad to say, didn't amount to much of anything after this, mm. is just going on and on in that very accurate, very like 17, 18 year old. I think I'm really deep and you know mysterious way oh, yeah. about how it's so beautiful, and I just wanted to punch him in the throat. <laughs> yeah, no, a little bit of that. <laughs> I like I like at the time. Yes, it was a big deal, but it was it's so like it, the parodies come from a, a place of like this is an affecting scene. But I I can't help but see the you know those now. I can't see. Uh, I think it was not another teen movie. I think maybe maybe yep. all of the scary movies had this in it. Something yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and I I also found myself just not liking the character of Ricky Fitz. Uh, which leads me, to, like, leads me to my question, Matt. Did you know, or perhaps were you, Ricky Fitz? I don't. I don't think. I don't think that I was. No, no, no. no. Um, did I know someone like that? Um, I, I, I don't recall. If I, if I did, I wasn't close with them. Um, but I definitely, as a, as a teacher now, I know a few Ricky Fitzes. In my... <laughs> Uh, I know a lot of Ricky Fitzes who think they know everything about the world and they they understand it all and and their perception of the world is what's important and the sort of self-centeredness of uh, being a teenager, um, which is something we all have to do and we all have to be to a degree. Um, but yeah, I don't think I don't think that I don't think that I was. I'm, I'm like really thinking. I'm like digging deep about how I was as a person and uh, I don't think that I was like him at all. It would be it would be okay if you were. Uh, I think I. Oh no was, no. I... Yeah, because we're seventeen. Like and we're, you're everyone's an asshole at seventeen. Really, <laughs> it, it, he's a. He just he just rubbed me the wrong way, uh, this this time. And I get I get what the character is. I, but I don't have to relate to him anymore. Mm-hmm. In fact, now that I'm older, I. Fucking love Kevin Spacey in this movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh my god, he is incredible. And however cold I am about on the film, none of that none of that whatsoever applies to Lester Burnham, one of the all-time great sad sack but also heroic figures in films. Uh just what what is it about, what is it about this role that makes it so uh Shall we say, like, the most Kevin Spacey thing that Kevin Spacey's ever done? 
I think it's his his sort of like blase approach to line reading, um, while also being really funny in pretty much everything he says. I mean, he saves you know several scenes, these big moments where he really sort of explodes, um, in you know, in anger and frustration and whatever. Um, but I feel like it's just this. You can see this deeply. You don't even have to see it because he narrates himself in the beginning as a deeply sad, miserable guy. So then when you see him sort of in these almost like farcical sequences, um, it's hard not to just be charmed by him, to enjoy what's happening, you know, to enjoy a little bit of what's happening to him to a degree, but also sort of relate to the sort of every man qualities he has. And uh, yeah, I don't know. That's to me, it was to me, it's always been his sort of dry line reading that 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 hooks me and then everything else sort of follows from that yeah he is um yeah he's very dry i I love just just the way he um him and his family and annette benning and thora birch are at the table and he's talking about how he just blackmailed his boss out of like sixty thousand dollars or however and then just immediately says pass the potatoes and like it's it's delivered oh so perfectly and in in yes, in, in, a, in a way that Kevin Spacey, who is, I like I can't like he doesn't look like my dad, really at all. But I can't help but think of like when I think of dad, like sometimes Kevin Spacey will kind of like go in there when I when, <laughs> when I'm thinking of the like the idea of dad, like it's it's Lester Burnham, which I don't know what that says about me and how I'm going to be a father <laughs> to uh, to a girl, but uh, he's this he. Alan Ball, the writer, he captures the the humor in the banal and the banality of uh, suburban existence so well. And uh, I can't. Kevin Spacey just delivers on that theme, just pitch perfectly. He's uh, and and the the best part is that he doesn't. You know he doesn't remain the sad sack he he goes through this deep journey which i can appreciate so much and that you know he find he you know he it's you could call it how lester burnham get, got his groove back yeah and uh, it's mina suvara instead of tay diggs but you know i don't like i don't know who i'd choose in that choose in that case tay diggs tay, yes thank you all right forever young tay diggs oh she's so so dreamy love that man <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, he represents Lester Burnham a, and this was something I started becoming aware of, and then probably delved too deep in, to the point of, uh, um, of self destruction. Uh, masculinity in crisis. Nineteen ninety nine was a big year for that. It was also the year of Magnolia, and especially Fight Club, which is yeah. just all about men on the verge of the new millennia and what that what that means for him. Uh, Lester, he is uh, he's adrift. He is in a sexless sexless marriage with Annette Benning, which damn shame. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the, it's his uh, his lust for Angela, for Mina Savari, this underage uh, girl that kind of jumpstart this this journey for him. Uh, it's a, his way of um, recapturing his his, uh, his his joy to be gets his groove back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, um, what's great is that the the revelation at the end is that when Angela reveals herself to be a virgin, she's not actually this crazy sex pot like she makes herself out to be, which was <laughs> was a bit on the nose because like oh we get it everyone has secrets and whatnot. But that's it, that's the moment when he finally hits comes to his realization. He finally becomes the man he wants to be by not mm-hmm. sleeping with her because he's not that kid anymore who is after a good time who's uh he he does all he does all the kid things he smokes pot he works out he drives a cool car <laughs> he works in a um he works in a fast food restaurant food, right? which is which provides some of the best comedy uh when um peter gallagher and, and that betting <laughs> show up you're like oh that that's so it's so, the, it's like so sad mo- Oh, it's great. He asked for the he asked for the job application, or and they're like, "Oh, we don't have, we're not hiring management. We're just working the counter." And good, I'm looking for the least amount of responsibility. <laughs> but that, I just feel like that's how do you not relate to that? I 
can totally I can totally as somebody who has uh, taken on so much responsibility recently but that's that's the thing that he realizes that wait I'm not this person with no responsibility I'm this person with all this responsibility I have this family to take care of I have this daughter to take care of mm-hmm. and uh it's he gets just a few moments few moments of peace before he is shot in the head which uh how did that how did like we knew we knew he was being he knew he was going to die like he said he, he sunset boulevards himself pretty much right at the, right from the get-go uh, how did yep. how did the way it happened how did colonel fitz repressed homosexual how did his, his the reveal that he did it how did that affect you this time yeah, so I really liked the um, the way that entire sort of final nighttime sequence is edited and scored and shot. It, it's sort of this kind of build up. Um, something that speaking about a, a movie that's uh, similar in a lot of ways, Magnolia does a lot. Its use of music to sort of build tension, and it's this sort of this sort of like lilting piano that keeps playing, but it, it just keeps repeating, and it gets almost like grating, and you know something's going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, and it's, I it's, think it's, I actually. No, yeah, I, I was gonna say it's great that um, it's it becomes like a little little mystery because you have all the players yeah. who are surrounding the surrounding the murder mm-hmm. scene, and you it focuses on each one. And you're like, who did it? Because everybody kind of had a reason to do so. Uh, not to interrupt. Right. Uh, not to interrupt. No, 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 it's okay. Yeah, that, that's all. That's all part of it too. And I actually, I did like the. <laughs> the old man thing where I was like, Oh, it's definitely, it's definitely Chris Cooper. And then, and that betting has the gun. And I was like, wait, I haven't seen this in a long time. It's not her. It wasn't her. Was it? It's definitely, it's definitely Chris Cooper. And then he gets shot and I'm sitting there going like, uh, is it, is it, is it, okay. It's Chris Cooper. So I actually felt like bamboozled again by it. So it was kind of like a nice, it was, it was a nice little piece of, um, I don't know, suggest or selective memory loss that happened for me <laughs> that I, I, I kind of second guessed myself back into the, the, the sort of little twist that happened. Yeah. Um, so it actually, I thought it worked really well. I think it was one of the best segments of the movie this time around. I think it was one of the best segments. I think it is one of the best segments of the film in general. If you're looking at just like kind of acts, I think it's probably one of the strongest parts of the movie that lasts yeah. sort of like half hour. I, uh, I would definitely agree to that. Uh, what I... What bothers me on on this this time around is the setup for Chris Cooper and his his turn and his and his big reveal that he's uh, repressed homosexual. I just the mm. the small little um, ways that he sees a scene but misinterprets the scene uh, completely with his son. I mm. that to me felt so forced and, and I don't want to say amateurish, but um, call it uh, just like very, very basic, very obvious, and I think yeah, I think maybe now I I, I like to think Sam Mendes might not have have gone that particular route and explored the character in a more meaningful way, uh, as mm-hmm. as such as opposed to just him like as opposed to just this this uh this hatred of himself. You get we delve a little bit deeper into him because he's one of like a lot of the characters are very well defined, but he's not one of them. And so it, it, I felt a little disappointed that, you know, I did remember that Chris Cooper shot him, but just, I remember liking the reason, the reasoning for it and the whole like, Oh, he's like, Oh, it looks like Ricky is giving Lester a, a BJ. Mm-hmm. And that's like, and that, that's kind of cool. And just it, but today this felt it's so it was built on so much coincidence too many one yeah. too many coincidences to really yeah. for me to really believe and then that's when i started to feel that alan ball was kind of taunting us with his like look at me style of writing which is kind of all over mm-hmm. this particular particular movie so uh i i mean i love i love chris cooper he's a chameleon of an actor he's uh he's great and yeah. you know he's plays a overbearing colonel for a father very well I yes. didn't really like that this time, uh, this time out, <sighs> which is a shame because he's Chris Cooper. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> how did you? Uh, what was your? How did you feel walking out of this? It's a. It. I remember when I was sixteen, seventeen. Very uplifted. You know, it's a very poetic uh, final. Uh, you know, final speech that Lester gives. 
Mm-hmm. How did you, uh, how'd you, how'd you feel this time? Uh, finishing the film. I still like his little yeah his little monologue at the end about basically like if you don't understand what I'm saying you will someday it it's sort of it's sort of like reassuring in a way it's also a bit like it's it's a little like cheeky like he's sort of making fun of the fact and and how is he narrating this sort of as he's not alive anymore um but I I sort of it is, there is sort of like this reassurance in that like I I don't know you can can have this life you can make these mistakes and you could die in this really horrible horrible way um but this one moment where you realize like you know my life wasn't complete shit like i was a good dad and a good husband and and we had some good times and he's looking at the photo of his daughter and his wife and him and he he feels very happy in in that moment and and it's not i mean happy is is an understatement It's, it's sort of like it's just a great scene. It's not this sort of tear-jerking moment. I think it's really effectively done. I just like that he sort of realizes in the end that the thing, you know, he was kind of looking for, he almost already had it. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel like that's sort of, he's like, okay, well, I, I, I sort of did this and I'm gone. There's no sense in crying over spilled brain matter. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm just going to move on. So, I, yeah, for some reason, I don't know why, it probably says a lot about me, but I did feel sort of warm and reassured at the end of this film. <laughs> I don't know why that is, but um, I guess I tried to explain why it was. I don't know. Oh, you did, and that's that's what we did. We, uh, I, I understand. I, I get the sentiment. I get to look in my daughter's eyes every day, and I feel right. a world of possibility. But um, you know, as I, as I, as I as I heard the final the final speech as he was floating floating over the uh, his neighborhood. And uh, where this whole movie happens in like it's, it's an instant, it's the instant the bullet hits his brain. That's like that's where this movie occurs. It's uh, some uh, one reviewer called it. It's uh, it happens in no time. And it happens in all time at the same time, uh, all at mm-hmm. once. But I was actually, you know, what I was reminded of I was reminded of Capex, uh, which is an objectively terrible movie from about <laughs> two thousand one or two thousand two, starring Kevin Spacey. And I I remember his final monologue there after Pro, uh, Prot, his alien character, who may or may not be an alien, has left Earth. And he's talking to Jeff Bridges about how, I forget exactly how it was, but it was saying that everything you do now, you will do again when the uh, universe repeats itself. And on and on and on. So do the good things now. Love now. Be your, you know, for Jeff Bridges, find your son, connect with him, and I uh, basically, basically to sum it up, he basically said, "Time is a flat circle, so don't be a dick." Uh, mm-hmm. I found myself, I found, <laughs> found myself thinking of that and being and feeling more warmly towards that. But I suppose that is neither um, mm. uh, that is neither here nor there. It reminds me that maybe I should see K Pax again just a little bit, but I don't think I'd actually mm. end up uh, end up liking it. Um, Annette Benning. How do you feel about Annette mm. Benning in this? Uh, um, I was completely sold on her character um, from the scene when she attempts to sell the house and has that breakdown in front of the blinds. Um, I just was like, she's just such, she's great. She's so great because she's this really sort of contemptible woman in a lot of ways, yet through um, sort of through the things she doesn't do and through of Lester's memories of her. She's this really kind of fascinating person. Um, so like so there's there's these two scenes that sort of bookend her character for me. And that one, which is not the first scene she's in, is the scene I just mentioned, the, the scene in front of the blinds when she tries to sell this house unsuccessfully. I think she doesn't she try she almost I think she tries to sell it to John Cho as yep. well. Yeah. Is, I was like, hey, look, check it out. He looks exactly the same age in this movie as he does. I don't know what. I don't know what it is. It's a, um, it's a, it's a, a curse of being white people now. now. That's what it is. Yeah, I know. I'm, a, falling, I'm falling apart <laughs> as I speak. I, a couple of teeth fell out in this conversation. <laughs> um, so there's there's this mental breakdown scene in front of the blinds. And at the end of the movie, after she, she knows that Lester is dead, she has this breakdown where she sort of grabs all of his clothes in the closet um realizing that you know her husband will never fill those again and i just that is like soul crushing for me so i love that they have that at the end because otherwise you know she she sort of needs um, I, I guess she's redeemed in the sense that she doesn't 
kill him, and it certainly looks like she's on the verge of doing that. But I feel like that that those two sequences just bookend her character so well. She's also very funny, um, very just sort of ridiculous, almost, almost like, again, farcical, I use that word again in this movie. And I just, something about her performance and her restraint to not go too far sometimes, but to go just far enough. Um, it's, that's damn impressive and very hard to do, I would say, for any actor or actress. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but she's, one, she, she's one of the best. She is, she is a net betting. Yeah, I did. I did like her a lot. I remember this is another sign of the, you know, how movies change with you is that I remember really disliking her when I first saw this because like, screw you, mom, you're just buzzkill. You're, ru- you're ruining all of Lester's fun. You're a harpy. You're just any number of other terrible na- words a male might use to describe a woman. But now, like, I get her... At least I think I try. I try to get her a bit more, and she's not. She's not the most developed character of the movie. That's it's still Lester's film, but Carolyn is. She's a very effective character, and I could see her frustration and you know her the, her, her feelings of being stuck. And I like I like I think there's a fascinating film there uh, where you switch the POV. And you follow Carolyn around oh, yeah. entirely, and you know you you hear her thoughts. I would, yep. I would be very curious to hear that experiment if somebody ever wanted to undertake mm-hmm. that. Um, so Matt, ultimately, uh, what is this movie trying to say? What is it about? I think it's about. I mean, the 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 the, the kind of surface look is that. You know, the, the, it's the tagline of the movie, right? Look closer. This idea you mentioned a little while ago about the sort of hidden meanings and hidden things going on amongst even the most normal looking of people. Um, but for me, what I kind of fixated on was this idea of like families in the late 90s and the early 2000s, and this idea that um, you can be a dysfunctional family and sort of aware, be aware of it. And it's kind of, I don't want to say it's okay, but it's sort of like, there's, it's, it's more acceptable in a weird way. I don't know if that's the right word, but it's more acceptable in this, in this modern or more modern culture that there's, that you have sort of dysfunction in your family and that it's sort of like visible to people. So this movie is like the breaking point of, of that starting to happen. Maybe this has become, because I come from a slightly dysfunctional family, nowhere like the families in this, but I was looking at Lester kind of side by side with, with Colonel Fitz and Colonel Fitz is like the classic, like 50s, 60s dad, um, you know, the military dad, the, the, the haircuts, the, the, um, you know, the um, he's anti-gay and he's very abusive and he has this long suffering wife. It's so he's, he's completely um, contrasted with Lester. Who's very like modern in 1999 mm-hmm. um, for better or for worse. Um, but I, I like that there's something sort of like probing about families, about masculinity um, in this movie. And it's, it's very, I mean, the title says it's very American. Um, It it made me start to think about the sort of changes I've seen in families since 1999. And again, being a teacher, um, it has not gotten better Mm -hmm. in a a lot of ways. It's gotten a lot worse, um, particularly for, you know, in certain areas, obviously, but um, you are not one of those examples. You are, you are the getting better part, Steve. I will say that. Um, But I feel like in general, this was like kind of heralding this weird change in um, in family um, dynamics. The sort of and I'm and I'm I'm kind of writing about this right now. I'm not kind of I'm I'm writing about this right now. But there's this big shift between kind of obligation to family and individualism, um, and that's where this movie shows you that everyone's sort of self-obsessed in this movie in a lot of ways um, until certain moments. Um, so yeah, I, I just fixated on the family dynamics and how they sort of have changed um, and how they're still changing. That's no, that's interesting. It reminds me that this movie did take place in 1999, and as such, uh, it is a pre-9/11 movie, and how things mm-hmm. so dramatically shifted. I mean, I, that, I mean, for certainly for the country, but for people's sense of safety and well-being. Like, yes, in 1999, we were dysfunctional. But we were uh, an acceptable kind of dysfunctional because nothing 
outwardly mm-hmm. bad would like out, outside of the ordinary could happen to us. Like, yes, there had been terrorist bombings before, but now you fast forward two years and now in the 16 years after that, there is an edge. There's a tension that we all live with. Uh, this belief that mm-hmm. anything can literally blow up for no reason whatsoever that we all have to contend with. And that I think it has to shape the American psyche, uh, really anyone's psyche, uh, for the for the worse, it probably explains a, a many number a great number of political movements of the last you know several months I guess at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's very, it's uh, un- that's an unintended thing that you can obviously that one reads, you know, after the fact because you know none of none of that stuff yeah. had none of that stuff had occurred yet. Um, at the time, I think American Beauty was it's a film that is about subtext. It's about how everything is not exactly what it seems on the surface. It's about secrets and lies. It's about how everybody is kind of, you know, their untrue selves in a way. And mm-hmm. what what happens at the end is that everyone reveals who they really are. Lester becomes, uh, reveals himself to be a good dad. Carolyn, you know, reveals herself to be, uh, you know, actually deeply care about her husband. Colonel Fitz is become, you know, becomes... Mm-hmm. You know, he finally outs himself as as gay. Mina Savari, Angela's character is, uh, you know, she's a virgin. It's all it's all this. Nobody is exactly what it seems. And uh, in that regard, I think it's it's a it's a little basic in that it's such a, a broad theme appri- applied broadly over one particular film. But it is very effective and uh, certainly very accessible. And I can definitely see why. Mm-hmm. This movie won Best Picture and won the awards it did because it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a theme that I think we can all get behind. We can understand. Uh, I just personally, to answer the question we ask every show, I don't know if it really has held up as well over the course of eighteen years. There are certainly uh, just a great many number of movies uh, that were released that year, not nominated that I would say have uh, stood the test of time better than American Beauty. But mm-hmm. of the uh, five films nominated totally, I, like, I would freaking love it if The Insider uh, had won. But I, you know, I think I will say that, <laughs> the, that the, the Academy made the right decision for the time, but the time being what it is, I don't think it is really uh, American Beauty has held up as well as want it to and that's the thing i want it to hold mm. up more but i don't think it has from a personal standpoint mm. how about you Diz, american beauty did it deserve it uh what's its legacy been like i think it's yeah i think i would agree that in 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 1999 or in 2000 it, it did deserve to win best picture but i think if the movie was made today and it was slightly tweaked um that's actually an interesting idea. Like if it was made today and it was slightly cheap, but there was no American beauty in 1999, would it, would it feel like a rehash of things we've already, mm. already seen? Uh, yeah. I, I don't, I don't think it has held up. I'm again, I'm, you mentioned the list of movies from 1999. I'm looking at them and things like Magnolia, you know, Magnolia, I come back to it. That, that movie is timeless for me. I, I, I watch it all the time and it, it never gets old. Not that I dislike American beauty at all. It's a great film, but I feel like, yeah, maybe just that year kind of spoiled us, or maybe we've been spoiled <laughs> since. Really um, but but what it, I think what you're saying about accessibility is important, though, because the Academy chose a film that was kind of easy enough to get into, but that was sort of you know more artistic, like we talked about at the beginning, more artistic and more um, filmic than than things that had been nominated in one in the past. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I feel like they kind of went out on a limb a little bit um, in that sense. I don't know if that was their thought Their thought process. I think they were just thinking like, oh, well, this is a movie that's doing well. It's got some big producers behind it, a big studio or a kind of a burgeoning studio behind it. Um, yeah, I guess it's a long way of saying I think it deserved to win in 1999, but uh, I do. I agree that I do, do not think it has withstood the test of time as well as I would have liked it to have. All right. And that is our episode on American Beauty. Thank you all for listening. If you like what you have heard, you can write us an email at oscarwatchpodcast at gmail.com and be sure to find us on all the social medias. For next week, 
we will, uh, God willing, be discussing the 2011 Best Foreign Language Film winner, A Separation by Asghar Farhadi, with a special guest, Shihir Dowd, of the only podcast about movies. I'm really looking forward to that. I'm saying it right now just to mm. sort of like keep him, keep him to that. He's hard to knit. He's a hard man to nail down. But uh, looking forward to that. Matt, in the meantime, where can people find you if they want to read all about your reviews? Yeah, as always, you can find me on Instagram at uh, movie underscore matinee. Try to do a movie review a day or something movie related. And then worst comes to worst, there'll be a picture of me and my dogs or something like that. So, uh, yeah, try to catch me there. Um, comments. I really like the comments. It's a lot of fun. Um, I like that. I typically respond, not just like to pretty much everything everyone says. Um, so, yeah, follow me there if you please. Yeah. And as always, uh, people, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with more uh, movies from the red carpet. Until then.